You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman. Altars open up portals and gateways. Again, it's always about who's going to be worshipped. When we think back about Cain and Abel, the controversy really was about the worship sacrifice unto God. So God, again, sees the heart. So I want you to think about this with even Cain and Abel. God sees the heart. Um, so again, he preferred Abel's sacrifice over Cain. Cain was what? A tiller of the land while Abel was a shepherd. Cain offered fruit and grain. Abel offered fresh meat from his flock. God favored Abel's sacrifice. But I can bet you that God's looking at the heart. From that, Cain got what? Jealous. And remember what Scripture says in Genesis, sin lieth at the door. Got to be very careful because I'll, I'll tell you, jealousy, if you allow it, will open the door to murder. And so as we think in our heart, and again, I could do a whole sermon on jealousy, and I may do that in the future because that is one of the worst, the worst elements of witchcraft to harm people, and we probably really need to go there just so that we have the understanding we're able to protect ourselves. Um, jealousy, again, God favoring the sacrifice of the blood of the altar was the root. Perhaps Abel, now this is something we love our animals. We got animal lovers galore in this house. But, you know, when you're a shepherd, you get to know your animals, whether they're sheep or or cows or oxen or whatever. You get to know your animals. So perhaps what Abel offered was one of his beloved animals that he loved. And maybe it was the sacrifice of that that made it so special to God. Maybe this was the sheep that came to him first. You know, they just had personality galore. We don't know. Again, it's one of those things when we get to heaven, we're going to get to find out. So this is why, again, our altars of worship in our church is such a battleground. And jealousy being witchcraft, and Satan seeks to tempt, defile the worshipers so that he can defile the altar of the Lord because this is where the throne of God, where, where the river of God is going to flow. And the purer it is, the more purity and the more holy, because our God is a holy God. And if the altar is holy, we're going to have an awesome service, and he's going to be here. So again, the altar is the door. It's a portal. So if it becomes defiled by the enemy, then it takes the high place of our sanctuary. Again, the message God gave me several weeks ago, do not profane that which is holy, I brought forth the altar. Every witch, warlock, sorcerer has an altar. And if you're a target, and this is why it's so important that that leadership in the house of God has intercessors that pray for them, it's at the altar that they perform their witchcraft, their hoodoo, whatever they want to call it. So if you have dreams of snakes, people chasing you, nightmares, you may very well be a target of witchcraft. So I know that people um, say that that's not true, but the greater the inner healing and the light that shines through you, the greater your light and the darkness around you. So be wise to the walls of the enemy. If you think our light can't attract, 
I guarantee you, the more we are submitted, the more we love, the more we walk, the more we pray, the greater our light grows, the bigger our spirit grows, and the enemy can see. And through the blood of Jesus, we can ask God to rain down fire upon any demonic altars. And again, you know, we've done a lot of root work cleaning up our family history. We don't know what three and four generations, if someone was worshiping the enemy, made covenants with the enemy, and even made covenants for the offsprings. Because again, they want the firstborn son. You know, it's just about in everything. They want the, that's what it's all about. That's the war. So we need to be on the offense and wise as serpents and harmless as doves, especially in this hour. I mean, it's always been bad, but it's getting worse. Um, and the Bible tells us that the very elect can be fooled. I am going to believe, Lord, don't let Restoration Church be fooled. Let not deception Father, come upon this household of believers. And so I'm called by the Lord to equip all of you with knowledge as the evil is growing in power and capacity. And like I said last week, I mean, he's on proud display like a peacock. There's nothing hidden. So God himself commanded that an altar be built after he delivered someone in a miraculous way. We got Deuteronomy 27, 4 through 7 says, Therefore, it shall be... When you have crossed the Jordan, and Jordan means what? Trodden down under or, um, I forgot I should have looked that up. Anyway, set up these stones on Mount Ebal as I command you today and coat them with plaster and build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with the filled stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, uh, eating them and rejoicing. So, uh, don't you think it's kind of like with, when we deal with the Freemasonry, and we talked a little bit about that along the way, but the Freemasonry is about the Masons, and what do they do? They hoon stones, but they do it with tools, and everything's a great architect is their emblem, and they use tools in Masonry, but God wanted stones in the field that were not used by man or not touched by tools. Uh, Turn to Genesis 15 if you, in your Bibles, please, if you have them. We're going to, our text is there. And this is, uh, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up to the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer 
a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. And the birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the rivers of Egypt to the great rivers, the Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Wow. All the ites. All the ites. And so when he realized a certain place, he was... Um, so, so we see after the altar of sacrifice, he has an encounter. So I want you to get that in your spirit. The altar, and then what happens? He goes into a deep sleep and has a major encounter with God. Again, it opens a portal. In Genesis 28, 10 through 17, we know this story. This is all about Jacob. When he realized a certain place he was fleeing from Esau, he took a stone for a pillow. Ouch. I'm sure that kind of hurt. But he had a dream, which he saw a stairway that was what? going Coming from earth to the heavens, and angels were ascending up and down. And, um, and he heard God say, I am the Lord thy God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. And when Jacob awoke, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And he named it, um, he actually named how awesome is this place. He named it the gate of heaven or the house of God, which means Bethel. So we know the rest of the story. God told him, go to Bethel. And what did he do? Remember the story? He had all the animals. He gets to Shechem on his way to Bethel, and it's great. It's a major place for trading. So if you're a herdsman, you need to be able to trade your animals to make money. And he does what? He settles in Shechem, which is like a day's journey from Bethel. And that's not what God told him. God told him, go to Bethel. So he stops there, and really the beauty of it is, is they were in the land of Canaanites, and God had visited him early, and an open portal had come. So God had sanctified that land with his presence and to have angels. So whether there was demonic Canaanites practicing all their witchcraft and what have you, Bethel was holy and sanctified for Jacob and his children and his everything he owned. But here he stops short. He buys land in Shechem. God did not tell him what happened. Dinah gets raped. He's in the land of Hivites, which mean rape. He loses his daughter's virginity in that land. And then Simeon and Levite avenge her and do wickedness. 
and they are never ever able to be close again. So those two tribes, those two brothers that were close in age, division came and to this day. There is still division from this that happened here. That's powerful. So, but God had an altar, an open portal. So, we need to be in the place of covenant. I think that's just such a powerful story about, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice, right? Then there's Solomon. Let's talk about Solomon in 2 Chronicles 1-6. through Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made him king in, in his place. So he asked for God, for wisdom to lead God's people. And God gives him that in riches. God says, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth or possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will give you wealth, possessions, and honor such as no king was before you ever had, and none after you will ever have. So again, what was his heart? His heart was pure. It was not for greed. It was not for prestigious pride. It was not even in any malice towards his enemies. It was not involved in murder. And it wasn't in long life and self-preservation. His heart was pure. And, um, and the altar of Solomon's heart, he got it all. He got it all. Matthew 6, 21 says, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there is your heart will be also. Is that not true? So number one, I want you to understand that when we make an altar to the Lord, we can expect an encounter, but our sacrifice must be pleasing and it must be sacrificial. Solomon went out of his way. That was a thousand, you know, that he sacrificed. And again, Jesus is our altar. And what he created for us is an open altar for whomsoever. But the altars in our churches should have Jesus enthroned at that altar. And our hearts must be pure and transparent. And so our sacrifices have to be in purity. Our heart will bring an encounter in his presence. So I want you to think about, now you've got examples all through the word. You can build an altar in your home. You can have a secret place, a sacrificial place where you commit yourself, whether it be your time. Uh, There's so many things that you can do sacrificially, even in your service, that will bring the heart of the Lord. And bring. you can have a supernatural encounter in your dreams. I mean, it's biblical. It can happen. Idolatry is such an abomination to our God. We have another king on the altar of our Hearts, we worship. If we worship anyone other than the one God, idolatry, anything besides God that's priority is idolatry. It's on the altar of our heart. And we wonder when we come to the altar and have no encounters or we cry out to our Lord in the heavens or brass, many times there's an idol on our heart. So what is on the altar of our heart? We have to question those things. And we have to question those things often. This is not something you do once or twice and you go through inner healing. This is something every day because we, again, are like Daniel and Babylon. And idolatry is everywhere. Um, 
When I think about sacrifice at an altar, he tells us not to come with an offense. He tells us do not come to his altar with an offense. To go to our brother or sister and settle the offense before we come bearing gifts to the Lord. I want you to think about that. Is our gift at the altar blemished when we come that way? If we have a heart that's offended, full of offense, are we defiled and tainted? So are we coming tainted and tainting and defiling his altar if we don't deal with those offenses? Two stories that resonate in me, both are about King David. I just love glorious Bible studies in the morning. One is 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25. That very day, God approached David and told him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor that belongs to, I can't say this guy's name, but I'm going to try, Aronah or Aronah or he's a Jebusite. So David went up just as God had ordered, consistent with the, the Lord's command. And Aronah bowed to the king, asked what he wanted, and he wanted to purchase the threshing floor and to build an altar so that the pestilence, pestilence had come, and he wanted to, uh, to do this to stop the pestilence. And so it could be averted by the Lord with building this uh, on the threshing floor. So Aronah offered it to him along with oxen, threshing, sledges, Yokes for the oxen for the wood. No, replied the king, I will buy them from you at full price. I will not offer to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You know that threshing floor was actually the place where Isaac was offered by Abraham. It's Mount Moriah. Later it became the place of Solomon's temple was built on. So God wanted that threshing floor. But David was going to buy it for full price because it had to cost him something. Um, can you imagine can you imagine if let's just say several churches in America came together in a sacrificial like a prayer offering um, with you know their time, their finances, their strength was poured out in purity of heart before the Lord and unity, love, could it stop the pestilence of COVID? Could it stop monkeypox? I think so. And again, we're in a better day with Jesus Christ. We have the altar of Jesus. By his stripes we were healed, the ultimate sacrifice. So let's look at the sweetness. This is what hit me last week. At the sweetness of David in this next sacrifice. Um... 2 Samuel 23, 15 and 16. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. You know he was thirsty. He was thinking about that wonderful water from that place. And these three fearless men sacrificed. They almost could have been killed to get their king a drink of water because he was thirsty. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. 
Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives, and David would not drink it? Such were the exploit of these three mighty warriors. So these three warriors to get their king a drink, but David loved the king of kings above all, so much so that he poured out that sacrifice unto his God. That speaks to me. We now live in a society full of narcissism, self-absorbed, entitled people. And I know that the kingdom of God is one of, you know, self-sacrifice for others. And we see that as such a rarity. It's more of the kingdom that we see all around us is, a, is, is self and self-promotion. Jesus' ways are ways of sacrificing yourself for others. No greater love had any man but to lay down his life for his fellow man. <clears throat> to lead, you have to follow. To lead, you need to serve. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus is our role model, and we must decrease so that he may increase. He gave up his throne to be born in a manger, to be afflicted, broken, bruised, betrayed, and hung on a cross for us so that we can have salvation. We have gotten comfortable in America in all of our blessings. And the sacrifice we've moved away from in sacrificial giving of our time, everything we want instant in our lives, even in our finances, esteeming someone else greater than ourselves is not, that's not our culture anymore. Ministry is sacrifice. Caregiving is sacrifice. Mission work is sacrifice. Caring for children, all of us know as parents, is a sacrifice. Caring for your elderly parents is a sacrifice. Caring for raising your grandchildren is a sacrifice. And I've watched many people do this. Um, I've worked with one of my best friends has raised four of her grandchildren. And one is Pastor Byron Ellis. And there have been afflictions in her children. I mean, it's worked a great prayer life in her. She's watched her, her grandchildren have all kind of problems, but she's got that one, that one that that is being raised up high and lifted up and being used greatly of God. But was it hard raising him? It was a living hell. It was one of sacrifice. She didn't have a life. She still don't have a life because her life is God. And again, I don't think you retire when you serve God. I would like to think I could retire. If you think I don't sometimes think about... Like I watched my sister and her, my brother-in-law go all over the world and travel and enjoy retirement. Well, I, I'm never going to retire. That's not what my life is about. Do I, sometimes I'm a little bit envious. Of course I am. But that's not what I'm called to. That's not what I'm called to. So it is a life of sacrifice. I rejoice. Um, I have a spiritual daughter that I'm watching at 50 raise a six-year-old grandson, and he's hyperactive. And she has no life. All her kids are up. They're almost grown. And here she is with a six-year-old. But again, no greater love hath any man. So maybe her little boy is a Byron. I don't know. But um, no one in our flesh wants to sacrifice. The sacrifice kills the flesh. And I've taught on that. Like fasting kills the outer man to release the inner man. Um... The foster kids in our life has done a greater work 
in us than we've probably done in them because they've definitely killed our flesh time and time again. Uh, I can remember asking God in the early years, when will we be ready to serve you fully? He said, when you can stand in the street, have nothing, and praise my name. And we got there, and it happened, and we did exactly what he said. So, um, we've lost, you know, God has brought us to a place where we lost everything from house to cars. Uh, He brought all the pride of who we were. I mean, I grew up with a Volvo. You know, that was my first car was a Volvo. And for me to move to Orange and have to ride the city bus out to a group home every day, when I say strip, I know what it's like to be stripped, but God was rooting up, even calling me out of ophthalmology because I loved my job. My pride was in what I did and who I was, and he even stripped that from me. And so all of that was, again, decreasing so that he may increase, and it was sacrificial. So he did it over and over again. Um, But anything you give up, he gives better. Because even though we lost a home, I think... We bought four or five since then. <laughs> so I'm talking about God has blessed us and he will do that. If your heart is right and you want to give it up and you're doing it because he's asked you to, I promise you in due season. And that means even leaving family. We left family, you know, for three years and he called us out and there was he returned my family full force. And then we were the best things in baked bread and most everybody saved but one. So... Um, I think about one of ours amongst us. They had a friend with COVID in a terrible rehab. And she went and got her and took care of her for several weeks. Humble servant, ready to sacrifice her life for those in need. Who can be told uh, to go into ICU and pray for someone at death's door. And this happened recently. Um and is on a ventilator, and the next day the man is in a room having a family member shave him. Let me tell you, when you lay down your life for your fellow man, and you allow God to be all, and you put yourself aside, there's an anointing that comes. And uh, she doesn't even realize it was her prayer that brought resurrection power. She has a heart that is an altar of sacrifice, obedience, esteeming others greater than herself. So she has the deutimous power to break the power of death. (laughs) How awesome is that? And we were blessed to have her among us. And you think tithes aren't important? They're very important because it's sacrificial. It costs you something to give into the storehouse so that the storehouse may run. So when you give your tithes, that is sacrificial giving. And then if you give love offerings, that's over and above your tithes. You think God's not going to show up and show off in that sacrificial giving? Just like I talked about him showing up with Abraham or showing up with Solomon. When you give and you give sacrificially, God's going to show up and bless you. It's just who God is. It's just his nature. It's all through the word. So what would happen if restoration came together and all of us, number one, of course, dealt with our offenses. But before we got before the Lord and had him illuminate, of course, again, we'll look at our hearts. And we chose, we prayed and chose an altar of sacrifice. Um, 
to have an an encounter with the Lord, to give up. Let's say we called together. They used to do solemn assemblies. They used to do all night. We don't know about that all night at the altar praying. That used to be a regular thing. And uh, people knew, and I know we live in a busy life in a busy world, but what would happen if we as a church decided to give up a Saturday night and just come here and pray the whole night? And God give us something specific or give us prayer targets. And we gave up our sleep and our rest. Do you think God's not going to meet us there at a sacrifice of what it's cost us to give up that time of sleep? Um, what would happen if we... Uh, what do you think God thought of corporately if we just did for uh, James what we just did? Do you think that didn't do something? Of course it did. We in love all sacrifice something in a fast. Oh, I have no doubt in my spirit and soul that God is fixing to heal that man. Amen. We come together in love and unity and call out to God. That is powerful. Um, I just think that I think we've got to get back to that place to lay down our lives, to put others before ourselves. And, and for us to see and have those encounters with the Lord... Create an altar in your home. Create a space that you begin to give sacrifice unto the Lord in prayer, in your time, making him a priority. And see if he doesn't meet you at that place. And then this, we want this an altar of sacrifice. We want this a holy place. And there's Restoration Church. There's no reason why we couldn't come together. And we begin to discuss as a church body, what kind of sacrifice could we give? Could we do an all-night prayer vigil? Is there something on all of our hearts? Can we begin to pray, God, what would you have us pray for? Lord, how can we sacrifice a night unto you just to pray? I mean, we could pray all night Saturday and be here Sunday. We don't know, but what could happen? It's all through the Word. So I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you in your own personal life. I'm challenging us as a uh, congregation that if we want an encounter like no other, well, let's do some sacrificial things at the altar in time, money, energy, and prayer and see what God does. And so... Let me close this out in prayer. So, Father, I thank you as this teaching has come forth this morning. That, Father, we want our altars of our heart to be pure and pleasing. Lord, we pray that if there be places that we're offended, that there be places that we need to go to our brother and sister. And, Lord, that we need to, Father, deal with those offenses. Father, we ask, Holy Spirit, just illuminate it. And we will go forth and do these things. Lord, we ask you, God, that let nothing be before you. Let you be the king of our heart. Lord, if there be anything on our heart that takes presence over you, Holy Spirit, we're asking you to help us and strengthen us to pull those things down. Father, you've called us to go into the high places. Let us go into the high places of our homes. The high places, Father, in our temple. Our temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And let us pull down every false altar, every place, Father, that we have a high place that's high and lifted up above you. Let us pull those things down. And let us this week, God, begin to look at those places where we could be used, those places where, Lord, maybe we don't want to, but if it's sacrificial and it will bring your love, then, Lord, let us come in the opposite spirit. Let us give sacrificially, Father, whether it's a smile, whether it's finances, whether it's our time, 
whether Father is sharing the gospel. Lord, go show us places where we can sacrificially give to others. And Lord, we would ask you, God, that you would just lead us. Lead us as a church body. Father, in a place, Father, of something that you would desire, something that's dear to your heart, that, Father, where we could, Father, come together in a sacrificial gift unto you at this altar and pray together or fast together or, Father, worship together. Lord, whatever is on your heart that we could do. And, Father, because above all, we want you and we want your presence. We want your presence whenever we ask. We thank you for your presence today. But, Lord, we're, we want just encounters. We want supernatural, apostolic encounters with you, O oh God. Life-changing, landmark moments where we are not the same. Father, we believe you're a transforming God because, again, you have transformed each and every one of us. We are not who we were yesterday. And, Lord, we are headed into a greater place of you being the author and the finisher of our faith and perfecting that which concerns us. So, Lord, just show us, just show us what we might do to please you and to bring your presence in a greater way in our lives and in our church. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman.